0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just believe so many of us uh, this morning are already experiencing God's peace. And we packed out this prayer room back here this morning. Uh, I had to stand up, it was so full because this church is coming alive to the understanding of what prayer does and is coming alive to the understanding of what the presence of Jesus does. And today we prayed that the the heavens would be opened up and his spirit and his presence would be poured out upon us. And as we've been talking about peace, we prayed that people that had no peace, people that were wrestling and at war within themselves would walk into the peace of God today. And before a single word from the sermon has been spoken, today. I believe the Holy Spirit is resting upon you and bringing peace and I'm telling you right now that the presence of God is putting Satan on notice this morning that our homes are off limits that our marriages are off limits that our children are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and he shall not pass as Gandalf would say <laughs> Yes, Lord, we worship you this morning. Father, we're taking back territory this morning. We're restoring peace this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit today. And Father, I thank you for the work that you have begun and the work that you will carry on unto completion today. Father God, Lord, I pray that every heart be open and every mind open. Come to the understanding of what they have in Jesus, of what they have through the presence of your Holy Spirit that dwells within them, of the peace that you offer that the world cannot take away. And today, Father, I pray that you would calm the storms in our minds and our hearts and give us the peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe God has peace for you today, let's give Him another praise. You can be seated this morning. Woo! Man, that was awesome. Thank you so much, worship team. You guys rock. And it's not just because you're all good-looking and talented. It's because you love Jesus and you're anointed. And I'm so happy to be able to preach coming out of that right? <laughs> well, good morning again. Um, if, if you didn't catch me earlier and you're new here today, my name is Joe Skeens. I'm the pastor here. And uh, like I said before, if you haven't taken time to fill out that Connect card yet, uh, if you've got one at your table, if you want to scan that QR code, uh, please go ahead and fill that out because we want to have that opportunity to get connected with you. You're an amazing person and we don't want to miss that moment. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. If you want to go ahead and start turning your Bibles, you can, so you're ready when we get there. But we're going to be starting off again in Colossians chapter 3. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. But I want to talk to you this morning. I kind of want to give an intro, not only to um, where we left off last week, but to this series as a whole. Because what I feel like God has impressed upon my heart very strongly is that... The family is something created and ordained by God, and it's, the family construct is a beautiful thing that God wants to use for his glory, and um, as a result, there's a real enemy. How many of you know there's a real devil, that he's not a cartoon man with horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, but in fact, um, he was, he's a fallen angel who hates everything about God, including you because you are God's most prized possession, and so there's an attack against our families, and the enemy has a motive behind that, and I wanna give you two motives before we get into this of why there's an enemy that's trying to tear our families apart, because here's the deal about the devil. He may be a punk, but he's no idiot, amen? He's a punk, but he's no idiot, and so number one, why does he hate families? Why does he wanna tear them apart? Because number one, God invented family, and so Satan hates it. We see throughout Scripture that Satan has his own kingdom, and it's usually the opposite, twisted, perverted version of things that God has created and God has called good. So, uh, so I know I said to turn to Colossians. I forgot I had some Scriptures to open up with. But right now we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. This is the beginning of everything. And in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 27, it says, God created human beings in his own image. Somebody say, his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Why do I read this? Because when we go back to our origins, we can better understand uh, the reason why we're here. And from the beginning, we see that when God created humanity, from the get-go, it says he created family in his image. Number one, he created family in his image. Why do I say family in his image, right? It says he created man and woman in his image, but we have to understand that even though he created man first, he then created woman, and he had the family in mind from the beginning to the point where we see him say, be fruitful and multiply. And so from the get-go, his goal, his creation was the family unit. Okay? And so number two, it says he created them male and female. Let's uh, be very, very clear. The scripture teaches that there are two genders, and that is it. Two genders, plain and simple. That's not said out of hate. That's not said to offend anybody. It's said to help you understand where you come from to help you understand your designer. Because if you can understand your designer, then you can understand yourself. And if you can understand yourself, then that is a path towards peace. So two genders. Number three, it says he blessed the family. It says he made them fruitful. He told them to occupy and fill the earth, which is number four. He gave the family a purpose, to fill the earth and to reign over it. Think about that. We often talk about ourselves about being a son or daughter of God, but um, let's be reminded this morning that we're royalty and we were given the purpose to reign or to rule. Not to lord it over other people, but to steward and take care of the earth that he has given us. Of the families that he has blessed us with and the relationships uh, that are in our lives. We're called to steward those things. And so Satan sees this beautiful thing. And how many of you know family can be a beautiful thing? It can. I mean, even if you have a family that has struggled to the core, right, like there's not a lot of peace in your home, and there are just moments where you're pulling your hair out. That's what happened to me, by the way. Um, I, I had kids, and it just, whoosh, just kidding, right? You're pulling your hair out, and you're like, I don't know, understand, what's going on? It's crazy. Even the craziest families have their good nights, Amen. That moment where you see one sibling uh, sacrificially uh, give something to share with their other sibling, and you're like, oh, and it warms your heart. You've, You've hopefully at least experienced those snapshots where family is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But see, there's an enemy that wants to take that beautiful family portrait and distort it so that when we look at it, we see something completely different. Uh, we have somebody, uh, a dear friend of ours named Delmara, who, um, she, her and her uh, husband are these awesome, like, hippies for Jesus, right? And they live all over the country in this Airstream trailer, and they're just traveling around, and they're kayaking and making their own butter, I don't know, crazy stuff like that, right? And... Um, so Delmaro, whenever she's in town, she takes family portraits for us, and 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 it's crazy because she takes hundreds of photos, and usually there's only about 20 of them that are usable, not because she's not a fantastic photographer, but because my kids won't look at the camera at the same time, they're never smiling at the same time, they're squinting at the sun, so it looks like they're constipated and not happy, and, um, and so, but she's a miracle worker because she gets this co- compilation of photos that we can actually use, and sometimes we look at that photo, and if we're we're cynical we can look back at it and be like oh my gosh do you remember the fit that Levi threw because we had him stand still for too long you remember how we had to bribe them all with candy but in that perfect moment it captured something ideal something that we wish for our family at all times and, but if our, if my view of that family portrait is distorted then i remember the worst of times and so this is what satan does is he tries to distort our view of family because satan's kingdom is the opposite of god's kingdom. Somebody say opposite. So what he does to attack the family is he convinces people that they're made in their own image, that it's all about themselves, that they are their own God, and that if they don't take care of number one, then who will, right? And so they they get people within the family unit to start thinking selfishly, and next thing you know, they turn against one another. There's jealousy, there's envy, there's strife. He devalues marriage, and he celebrates Promiscuity, and he uses divorce to rip families apart. Can anybody testify? Are you seeing this happening? Right, uh, this is exactly what culture is—is is it's mirroring, mirroring um, an exact opposite of what God has designed, and promiscuity is celebrated. It is—it is looked up at instead of looked down upon. Marriage is not a big deal. People are like, I'm not going to get married. Why would I get married? I've seen how messed up it can be. Or they're waiting longer to get married. But marriage is devalued. And then we see divorce. Oh, man, how the devil used divorce. You know, and there's no condemnation today. I'm not bringing condemnation on anybody in here that's been divorced. But you, if you've been through it, you've seen how the enemy uses it. Maybe you even believe it was the right decision, but but you know the enemy has used it, and what happens is he'll leverage uh, your children against you, right, because they learn they can manipulate mom and dad because when I'm at dad's house, he's fun, and if I make mom feel like her house is boring, then all of a sudden she feels guilty and she'll give me more of what I want when in reality, mom or dad really loves the son or the daughter and knows they need discipline, but they're worried if I keep um, disciplining them at my house and they're allowed to do anything they want at their father or their mother's house, then they're going to turn against me. They're never going to want to spend time with me. And the devil takes something that was meant to be this unified unit that just brings health and peace, and he's turned it against, turned them against one another. He robs us of the blessing by turning us against each other. He then goes even further to he questions roles within the family. He tells women, you don't need men in your life. You're independent. The most important thing you can do is get a career you know, you, you don't need to have kids. Just get a career. Be successful. You know, let's completely flip it upside down. This is a woman's world right now, right? Does that sound familiar? You guys are like, don't get political, Pastor Joe. All right? And then he tells men, you don't need to stick around and be there for your kids. You know, uh, fatherhood is just about impregnating another person. You know, and you don't need to stick around and be there for your kids. You can still be there for your kids without staying married, right? And so what we're seeing is families being torn apart. And here's what happens. Here's the second reason why Satan attacks our families. Number two, God designed family to reflect his character and to teach us about who he is. And so what that means is if Satan can distort our families, he can begin to distort, to distort our view of who he is. How many of you have seen that before, Right? it, it it's, it's not necessarily that that's the way it should be, but a lot of times we look at our Heavenly Father through the filter of our earthly father. Uh, we, we look at the way Christ loved the, loved the church, the way we saw our dad love our, our mom, and sometimes that can be a good thing, sometimes that can be a bad thing. And we're going to be spending some time over these next few weeks in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to read to you a little bit of it here to give you an example. Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 25 It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We're going to get to that next week. I'm thinking of doing a whole sermon called the S word, okay, (laughs) because that really ruffles people's feathers the wrong way. Twenty three says, for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. Whoa, what a statement right there, huh? I kind of want to preach on that now, but I won't. Gonna save it for later. See, we can we can understand the importance of submitting to God. Uh, as the head of the church, because we have seen how it works or doesn't work within the family, right? And the role of a husband helps us understand how Jesus loves us, that we're we're referred to as the bride of Christ. And this makes sense to us because we can relate to the feelings we've had for our spouse. Chances are, if you got married, you were at least in love at one point, right? Right? Uh, unless you did it for other reasons, right? Chances are you were at least at love and love at one point, and so it helps us understand Christ's love for us. In Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we start to get some instruction on children. I can't wait to speak on this as well. It says, children, obey your parents. And all the parents said... Amen. Because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. And I'm just not to be a spoiler alert, but I'm going to flip this on you guys when we get to it, right? Because a lot of us think it's just like, okay, what I need to do is I need to slip this Bible underneath my son's pillow and highlight that verse. It says, children obey their parents. And then they're going to see it, and God's going to convict them. And I'm just, yeah, sorry. That's not exactly why it's written. We'll get into that. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a purpose. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. And all the parents again said, amen. amen. You want to have a short life? Keep disobeying your parents, kids. So God designed the father-child relationship to help us see God as our heavenly father. Jesus put it this way in, in Matthew six thirty-two b He says, your heavenly father already knows all you need. And so as we see him as our father, one of the benefits that comes from that is we begin to trust that he understands what we need. The example of a great father helps us understand that we can have confidence in the heavenly father. But this becomes difficult for those who've had fathers who have hurt them and let them down. Amen? Am I making sense? Do you see now the enemy's motive behind coming against the family construct today? See, Satan knows that if he can destroy the family by breaking it apart, disrupting biblical family roles, confusing gender, and convincing us that family is not a blessing, then he will muddy our view of who God is. Next thing you know, we're walking around aimless with no direction, chasing after all of our passions and desires, and being completely devoid of peace. I mean, you even know that's what happens. Maybe some of you can testify and say, I've been there where I chased after all my desires. Anybody? There was a lot of just really holy people in here, right? <laughs> right. Some of you raised your hand. Right? now, Now, raise your hand if it gave you peace. No hands went up. There's something about that. When we chase after everything that we think we want, everything that we think is going to make us happy, we're actually robbed of peace. And so we're talking about restoring biblical families today, and last week we hit on this. I'm going to try to get us caught up, but the first step must be restoring peace to our homes. I believe that we have families represented here and and people close to us whose families are in chaos, and there's a lot of unhealthy conflict going on. And uh, we can get so consumed of what's happening with the nation and with the country, but God wants to do a work in our very homes that will have a trickle-down effect um, on culture today. And so what I want to do is I want to take just a few moments at your tables to discuss a couple of questions. If you were here last week, you can tackle this question for sure. It's how were you able to apply last week's message and experience God's peace in your family this week? If you weren't, Or maybe you haven't experienced peace yet, you can answer this question, where are you still struggling to experience peace? So we're going to put the questions and a timer on the screen, and let's go ahead and have a conversation. Wow. Awesome. Sorry to cut any of your conversation short, but man, what a blessing and encouragement to hear both testimonies of how um, God is helping you experience peace in your families, and also those of you that have just been really open um, about your struggles, um, because that's healing as well, right? It identifies uh, ways that we can pray for you, and sometimes it just helps the rest of us know that we're not the only ones struggling. Amen? Amen. So how do we restore lost peace? Well, we talked about it last week. And what I want to do is I want to quickly get the rest of you caught up who weren't here last week. And then we're going to hit the final two points of this message and drive it home, okay? So uh, Romans 8.6 tells us, Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And I jokingly said last week, how many of you are getting in line with your family Uh, In the death line? Nobody raised their hand, right? How many of you are getting in line with your family in the life and peace line, right? Amen. Okay, and so if you want life and peace, then the peace of God, first of all, is not something you gain after you bring chaos under control. Not after you solve everyone's problems, not even after you um, deal with the conflict. But the peace of God is not based on your circumstances at all. And I want to throw this up on the screen again. This is this little equation to help you remember. Most of us believe that A equals C. In other words, A, my circumstances, equals C, my feelings. And so that's a very uh, victim mentality to have, right? This happened to me, therefore I feel such and such, and because I feel such and such, I do such and such. You see how where that puts you in a position of where you are just at the the will of, you're like a, a buoy tossed in the waves, as James puts out, right? That You're at the mercy of those waves. Just whatever circumstances do, you just go with it, and they knock you around, and they beat you down. But in reality, A does not equal C. The truth is that A plus B equals C. Meaning that my circumstances, plus what I actually believe about those circumstances, what those circumstances, how I interpret them, uh, what, they, what they say about me, what they say about God, what they say about uh, those I love and care about, that determines how I feel. Which in turn, oftentimes, defer- determines how we act and how we behave. Um, I remember going through... A parenting class, and one of the greatest takeaways I got from this was this phrase that we would tell ourselves, and we were reminded to tell ourselves this, that when our kids misbehave, we tell ourselves, it's just an event. It's just an event. But yet here here's the facts. Let's get very, very factual here, that when a kid acts up and misses, misbehaves, it's literally just an event. There's no emotion assigned to it. Right, And we know that because um, some person might react in a way where they are um, in fear and anger, and then someone might experience the same thing, and they don't react that way. Well, if that's the case, then that means there's no pre-attached emotion to that act. Okay, am I making any sense here this morning? So what that means is that uh, an emotion has to be assigned to that act or to that circumstance. Who do you think does that? Everybody point to the person, do you think, does that? That's right. That's right. So we assign an emotion to everything that happens. And so if my kid acts up, what I do is I I, I come up with a belief about what they did. My kid talked back to me, and so that means he does not respect me and he does not love me. Is that true? I guess you could say it could be, but in most cases, that's not how children feel. Maybe in that moment, they weren't feeling respect for you. Maybe they didn't understand the importance of of having um, that respect for you in that moment. But if you were to uh, give them truth serum, they would say, yes, I love my father. I respect my father. And so I assign an emotion to it, and the next thing you know, I'm going to feel a certain way, and oftentimes I'm going to behave a certain way based on those feelings. And so I want you to add that to your tool belt today. It's just an event. Everybody say it with me. It's just an event, okay? And so just taking that time to remind ourselves that I'm the one that assigns the emotion to it, and so I better choose a good one, right? And so is, there's only one way, as we read in Romans here, there's only one way to have peace in every situation, and that's by letting the Spirit control your mind. Letting the Spirit tell you, what does this event mean? How should I interpret this? What does this event tell me about myself? What does this event tell tell me about God? Let the Spirit determine what that is. And so uh, we talked about five ways that we can restore peace to the home. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 3 real quick and refresh our memories here, starting in verse 12. And we're going to go through verse 15. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. So number one, we were reminded that peace is something that we can clothe ourselves in, and so number one was sink into it. That word, when interpreted um, in, from the original language, um, it says that it's it's like wrapping yourself up in a garment or seeking in sinking into a garment. We talked about having that special blanket, which. I bought big trouble for posting that to Facebook for those of you that saw it, right? Um, wrapping ourselves in that special blanket, the only one we can sleep with, right? Or that robe that's super comfortable and the feeling and the comfort that comes from having that garment on. This is how we're supposed to put the peace of God on, but it also tells us that there's an action that needs to take place. And so John fifteen five, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so... If we're not sinking into the peace of God, how can we expect to be comforted and to have peace? And so to not abide in his presence, which means to dwell there, to stay there, to live there, is like walking outside in the winter while holding a jacket out here, complaining that you're freezing cold. And so we have to take the action of sinking into that garment to benefit from its warmth. Number two is let go of what tears it apart. It said in verse 13, forgive anyone who offends you. He talked about how nothing will rob you of your peace more than holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. Uh, We talked about that whole old saying that says uh, bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting someone else to get sick. I want you to think of it this way too because we're talking about holding on. It'd be like holding on to two ropes with a, a big thoroughbred horse attached to each one, and they're pulling in two different directions. And, and holding on to unforgiveness is to hold on to those ropes until you're literally torn in two. When uh, logic would say, do this let go of it. But what happens is we hold something against someone, which is what offense is, is to hold something against someone they owe me. Um, I'm not going to forgive them because what they did is not okay, is what we do is we are the ones that are being harmed. We are the ones that are suffering without peace because we won't let go. And so some of you got set free last week because you came forward and you let go of offenses that you were holding against other people. And God used that as a moment to restore some peace in your life. He goes on to say, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others we learned that forgiveness is a command and not a suggestion. It's not even something that's for your own good, but it's a command from God. We talked about the cross and that song, When I Think About the Lord, and what happens when we truly consider the cross, that um, we, we get this fresh revelation of his forgiveness and mercy for us and his love for us. It gives us a supernatural ability to forgive. And the cross, when we consider everything that was done, Everything that he suffered, the cross removes all excuse to hold anything against any person against, in any time for any reason. That's the power of the cross. In verse 14, he says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And so number three was hold on to what holds you together. So if we're going to let go of what's ripping our peace apart then we need to hold on to that which builds it, that which binds it together, and that is love. So you cannot restore peace through your own will. You can't restore peace by trying to fix everyone's problems. You can't restore peace by eliminating conflict, but what you can do is you can use all of your willpower to take hold of love and hold on to it as it builds it all together. And although perfection is not attainable, When you are bound and clothed in love, as long as you're in that state, you're being perfected. Finally, this is where we pick up where we left off last week in verse 15. It says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Number four is this, let it rule. Let peace rule. That word rule is to exercise ultimate power or authority over to govern, to control. Peace, quite simply, means giving over control. Marty challenged us with this a little bit today, talking about when we understand the battle belongs to him, we can step into peace. But whenever we get the idea that it's our battle, Whenever we get the idea that it all depends on me, whenever we get to the idea that I can't let that person get away with what they did, we step out of uh, the battle that belongs to the Lord and we engage ourselves in a battle that's going to rob us of our peace. A theologian named Albert Barnes says, the soul is liable to the agitations of passion and excitement. Like an assembled multitude of men, think about that in context of our day and age, an assembled multitude of men that is liable to the agitations and and, uh, agitations of passion and excitement. He goes on to say, it needs something to preside over it. And keep its various faculties in place and order. And nothing is so well fitted to do this as the calm peace which religion gives a deep sense of the presence of God. Over the past three years, we uh, witnessed on the news some of the most terrifying uh, unrest and upheaval in our culture. As buildings were burned to the ground, people were shot in the streets. Um, Riots uh, were happening on a regular basis. And it was just carnage, and it was unrest, and there was no peace. And what happens is it, it, only, it only takes a moment for a protest to turn into a riot. And what happens is often in those times, there's not a clear person of peace presiding over those multitudes. And so as a result, we realize that these multitudes are made up as individuals, And these individuals don't have peace presiding over their own hearts. And so when they get together, it stirs up the unrest and the anger and the lack of peace within them, and they feed off of one another. Emotions, church, are a terrible master. My goodness, if this pastor uh, made his choices solely based on what he feels, I wouldn't be here today, I'd be in prison. Emotions are a terrible master. They betray us all the time. We put our foot in our mouth. We harm others. We lie. We say hurtful things because emotions are in control and we don't have a governing spirit presiding over us. So, if the Holy Spirit is not presiding over your soul, you can't have peace. It's that simple. Our emotions need to be dethroned, church. Some of us need to dethrone our emotions so that the peace of God can reign there on the throne of our hearts again. But pastor, let's get practical here. What do I need to do? What do I do when it feels like peace is not presiding? When it feels like my heart is anything but peaceful? I want to give you a couple simple phrases that I hope will remind you in those moments of what to do. The first is this. Take a walk. Take a walk. Now, first, um, we can talk about the practical there. That can literally be a good practice, right? How many of you know sometimes if you remove yourself from a situation, you avoid being governed by your emotions? But here's the context of that phrase here. Galatians 5, 16. Paul says, so I, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And so he's saying, let. So in other words, that means we have to give permission to, for, to the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. But in, uh, in the English Standard Version, it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Take a walk. Walk by the Spirit. Sometimes we don't really break that down, but that word walk means to be led by, to follow, uh, to walk around. In other words, everywhere he leads, um, a, a Helps Word study said comprehensively around, full circle. Ever t- heard that term before? Full circle. Something something becomes full circle, it means that it completed something right it was all the way around and comprehensively the word comprehensively means every single area every single detail and so to walk in the spirit is to have him have control of every single detail of my life to be spirit led in everything that i do and it's as simple as taking a walk see that sounds really complicated like how am i going to give the spirit control over every area of my life this is like christianity like 505, and I need Christianity 101, Pastor Joe. Like, this is really complicated. But in reality, um, let me give you um, a, a deep theological truth, okay? Following Jesus looks like this. Somebody say, ooh, that's good. One step at a time. And have you ever noticed that when you take a walk with someone that you love, Uh, That without even paying attention, your stride comes into perfect synchronization with them. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. It's their left and it's your right, but they're still synchronized. It's something that naturally happens. You don't have to think about it. I don't know a time I've ever looked at the person's feet and be like, okay, I'm going to try to step with them. But if I'm just talking with them and we're keeping pace, our bodies naturally align with one another. And I believe that's the image that, 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 that God wants to put in your heart this morning, is that if you will just to make a choice every single day to start your day with him, to ask him for direction in your life and take the first step of the day and make it towards Jesus, make it towards what he wants to do in your life. Walk in the spirit. And then he says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. What I love about that is he's kind of saying this, um, that sometimes we focus so much on what we are not supposed to do when we should be focusing on what we should do. One of my favorite um, sayings is that uh, sometimes the best defense is a good offense. Uh, See, what, what happens is sometimes we struggle simply because we've been following ourselves. And this is why the Spirit of God makes all the difference in the world and so we need to focus on what we should do because what he's saying is, is, is if you're doing this, you won't be doing that. Amen? Uh, ever heard the scripture that talks about idle hands? Right? They lead to ruin, right? But when you give your hands something to do and you keep them busy, right? If my hands are full of good things, then I'm not going to have the ability to pick up the wrong things. And so sometimes simply changing our mindset to see God, what do you want me to do today? It, not even so much of, God, help me to resist temptation, which is not a, pur- not a bad prayer, right? Or, or, God, help me to stop doing this, but God, what do you have for me today? What are you calling me to do today? How are you calling me to minister to someone, to speak into someone's life today, to encourage someone today? Who do you want me to pray with today? Who do you want me to share Jesus with today? And I'll tell you what, I've done a lot of sharing Jesus in my day, and I've never found myself sharing Jesus while sinning at the same time. Profound, right? And so sometimes if we just say, God, instead of just sitting here uh, on the defense and trying to resist, um, uh, you know, defiling myself with poor choices, let me step into what you've called me to do. Let me be a man of action. Let me be a man of faith. And let me see your word put into action in my life. And when that happens, man, it just naturally transforms us. And we find ourselves being discipled out of obedience. Go figure. Go figure. We simply begin to do what the word of God says and the result is life change. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and that it penetrates even to the point of bones and marrow. It gets down to the heart of it all, soul and spirit, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so here's the deal. When we don't put God's word into action, We rob it of its power. See, God's word is powerful, but only when used. I can have a tractor I use to plow my farm, but if I never turn the key and hit the gas, then it doesn't do me any good. So, the Holy Spirit makes all the difference because you have someone to talk with and you have someone to walk with, and that's the second one. Let her be. have a talk. So have a walk, have a talk. I thought maybe you guys could remember that. Have a talk. Philippians 4, 6 through 9, and we'll, get to, we'll break these down here. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Have a talk. Have a talk. Sometimes uh, we, to our own detriment, we have negative self-talk. Anybody ever read a self-help book about that that talks about how your self-talk is important? Well, guess what? They stole it from the Bible. Very biblical. The things that we say or think reinforce lies. And how many of you know that a lie, if believed to be true, will have the same effect as truth? Truth. It will have influence over you as if it's true because you believe it's true. And sometimes we say things that we, are, we, are, we don't realize it, but we are intentionally sabotaging our peace by saying things like, I am such a bad parent. I have done everything wrong. I've messed up these children. Or I have been such a cruddy husband. And um, my my wife and I are never gonna have peace because I'm a bum or I keep failing to do uh, what she needs me to do. And we have this negative talk or or we might think to ourselves, kids, I'm such a bad kid. I've gotten in trouble so many times that now I wear it as a, a label, as an identity. I'm just the bad kid and I'm just doomed to do this again. And so I'm not going to even try to make things right because I know I'm just going to mess up again. And that's the self-talk that just consumes us and puts us under a spell almost. And and we become a slave and we can't control our our decisions. And I want to tell you something that I believe the Holy Spirit put on my heart for some of you in this room today. Listen very closely because this is going to set somebody free. God wants to give you permission today to stop obsessing about everything you've done wrong and are doing wrong. I wanna say that again. God gives you permission today to stop obsessing about everything you are doing wrong. The reason why that's so important is as you're obsessing it, you are giving power over to the enemy. As you obsess about it, as you mull over again and again, and you say, well, I don't wanna forget, I don't wanna just let myself off easy, you gotta understand that, just as we said earlier, this is a walk. This is not a climb. Let me say that again, this is a walk, this is not a climb, because when you climb and you fall, you fall all the way to the bottom. And the higher you climb, the harder you fall, the more injury you incur, and the more difficult it is to start again. And when you start again, where do you start? At the bottom, from the very beginning again. But we were never called to the climb. We were called to walk in the spirit. And let me tell you, if you've ever been a man in this room and you took a walk with your son, if he slips and he falls down and he skins his knee, what do you do? You pick him up. You wipe, you wipe them off, and you keep walking. I've never met a father that says, you stupid kid, I can't believe you fell. Get up. Now let's go all the way back to the house again, and we're going to start. And this time you're going to show me you can walk right, because we're not going to go anywhere else until you show me you can walk right. That's not how it works in our relationship with God. We will stumble, we will fall, and in his grace, he picks us up. We were wrong, we made a mistake, we still slipped. There's no excusing it, but he says, I love you, I clean you off, and I heal you. Now let's keep going the direction I've called you to go. But if we get so caught up and we we bring ourselves to the point where we're just like, look at me, I'm all beat up and bruised from the stupid decisions I've made, and we sit there and there's no movement, guess what? Sin is going to continue to find its way into your life. It's going to worm its way in. It's going to continue to do damage, to wreak havoc on your heart and mind and on the peace that's in your family. What a freeing revelation, amen? Instead, focus on bringing your needs to God in prayer and giving him thanks. That's not just an afterthought. Man, there's a power of giving thanks. If you're liking this, just let you know, there's a new series coming. It's going to be all about the war in your mind, um, starting in September. Uh, Verse seven says, then you will experience God's peace. Sounds like a promise to me, amen? Then you will experience God's peace. If you do these things, you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Wow. So when he says that you will experience peace if you do this, he's saying, I have given you a recipe, And one plus one equals two. And if you will put these together, that's what you will have. And then he goes on to say he'll give you a peace that exceeds anything you can understand. That is a big promise because what he's saying is like everything in your life doesn't have to make sense before you have peace. Come on, somebody. You don't have to have it all together. Your conflict doesn't have to be completely resolved before you have peace. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. Here's the reason why because it will preside over your heart and mind. It says it will guard your hearts, it will preside over it. So, the third one is this fix your thoughts. Somebody say, fix your thoughts. In verse 8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing fix your thoughts on what is true. Honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts, excuse me, late bloomer here. (laughs) Fix your thoughts means to change what you are thinking. Like right now, you guys got distracted. You need to change what you're thinking. Have you ever heard somebody say, think about what you think about? See, what happens is we have broken thought patterns that create ruts in which we cannot get out of. Have you ever been driving along on a muddy road and all of a sudden your car starts getting pulled one way or the other? It's because a car before you had formed a rut and you got stuck in it. This is exactly the same thing that happens in our mind. We have these broken thinking patterns, and we get frustrated. We want things to change, but we keep thinking the same thoughts, saying the same things, and making the same choices. We're like, why won't it change? Because you're stuck in a rut. Somebody say 10 seconds. (laughs) 10 seconds. I had somebody, we had this uh, motivational speaker come to my high school, and I'm going to wrap up with this, and if I could get Missy to come up here. Um, a motivational speaker, right? You get those. You ever go to the high school assembly? They bring in the motivational speaker. Usually they survived a, you know, a near-death experience or something, and they're telling their story. This man gets up there, and he's telling this story about this car uh, that drove into his home and pinned him beneath the car. And um, I think he lost a child out of it. It was like they were all in the same room or something. It was this horrible story. And At the very end, with all the boldness in the world, knowing he's in a public school, he starts talking about how it was Jesus Christ that brought him through this, right? And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this dude's breaking the rules, man. This is awesome. God is so good. And so I came up to him afterwards and I had my Bible and I asked him if he would sign my Bible. And he's like, that is so awesome. No one's ever asked me to do that at a high school before. And I was like, thank you. Um, And so he took it and he wrote in there, he wrote Galatians 6, 9. Right, because that's an encouraging scripture to him. It says, don't go weary while doing good. For in due season, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And then he wrote 10 seconds. And I was like, what's that all about? He says, here's the deal. He's like, if all of us would adopt the ability to hit the pause button for 10 seconds, nine times out of 10, we would make a different decision than we would have done if we had not hit the pause button. Let me give you that as something else to put in your tool belt. To pause. When you, know, when you feel the intensity rising up in your own heart and mind, pause. Pause. Don't react. Pause. Take the time to think about what you're thinking about. Work on that self-talk. Change uh, what you're thinking and what you're saying out loud from, if my husband forgot to fix that sink one more time, I'm going to lose it. right? Or I am so sick of that kid's behavior. I can't do this anymore. I've had it. I'm done. If he talks back to me one more time, I'm going to fill in the blank. All she does is complain about everything I do and nag, 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 nag. But what if we shifted from those thoughts that tear down our peace and feed into our anger Thoughts that build it back up again. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we might tell ourselves, I am a person of peace. Somebody say that with me right now. I am a person of peace. How about this one? It's just an event. <laughs> How about this one? Whew. I'm difficult to offend. Oh, we need to say that one again. I am difficult to offend. Some of you just stopped at, I am difficult, but you got (laughs) to, that's the problem. I'm difficult to offend. What if we were all difficult to offend? Sometimes that self-talk just changes our thinking. Finally, we change our behavior. We change our behavior. How many of you know it starts up here? change your behavior. Number nine says, verse nine says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Once you fix your thoughts, you can fix your actions. Right thinking leads to right decisions and right emotions and right actions, which leads to God's peace. First in your own mind, then you can become a carrier of that peace. We talked about singing, right? That peace to other people, speaking the name of Jesus over others. God has called us to be a carrier of peace that's what he says here in verse 15 you are called to live in peace why is that such a big deal because not only is it possible to have peace but we're called to live in it in other words that's where you remain that's your house that's your home and as happy Gilmore says are you too good for your home sorry all right Not only is it possible to have it, but to live in it. See, here's the deal. Listen to this. Most Christians have a better understanding of what they were saved from than what they are called to. We get so focused on, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, guess what? You're not supposed to still be acting like a sinner okay? I'm so glad you're saved by grace, but you were also saved to something. You were called to something, and if you want to restore peace to your home, you need to remember what you're called to. You're called to live in peace, and so finally, I'll end with this. John 14, 27, Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift. Somebody say gift. Peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Number five, the final point is this. Know what you have. Know what you have. Have you ever uh, seen someone, um, been around when they discovered an untapped talent that they didn't even realize they had? Maybe they were thrust into the spotlight and they thrived and they had no idea that they were such a natural public speaker, right? Or maybe they decided to pick up an instrument and they learned it in three months and uh, you never knew that there was a musical prodigy, you know, probably with the last name uh, Hudson, Hudson. Um, right uh, the, it's just in their blood right but they didn't know it until they picked up an instrument sometimes we don't know what we have we, ha- we do have some talented musicians in this church but they didn't know what they had until they got it within their so they took the step so they got the instrument within their hands you gotta understand that Jesus says he gave you a gift amen And that gift is peace of heart and mind. And so if we have it, then it's just a matter of tapping into it. Amen? See, for many Christians, peace is an undiscovered gift. And I love what he says. He says, it's not the peace that the world gives. And the reason why that's important is the world cannot give this peace because it's superior to anything the world has to offer. And if this peace is superior than anything the world has to offer, guess what it's also superior to? Anything the world can throw at you. Peace will be restored to your home when peace is restored to your heart. Here's how we're going to end today. And I saw somebody came up here to bring their offerings. We'll collect those at the end today, and there'll be buckets in the back. But what I want to do is, you know what? You guys are sitting at a table surrounded by people who um, they do life to. They've got families, too. They wrestle with things, too. it's not about the pastor that stands behind the pulpit who acts like he has all the answers, but it's about the people that are in the trenches with you. And so you have next to you on your right and your left uh, believers that both have struggled and experienced victory. And so we're gonna close out today by giving you guys an opportunity to pray for one another. Maybe you're in here and you're saying, I just need to sink into it, right? I need to take action. I haven't done anything to restore peace into my home. Maybe it's, I need to let go of what's tearing my peace apart. I've got unforgiveness that I still haven't let go of. Maybe it's, I have to hold on to love because I know that's gonna begin to build the peace in my family again. Maybe it's, I just need to let it rule. I need to let it be in charge. I need to understand that I'm following someone and I'm not following my emotions. I need to be governed by God's peace. And finally, maybe it's just, I didn't recognize what I had. I haven't tapped into this piece of God that I know, I believe he's given it to me, so I just need to tap into it. Whatever it is, I just wanna give you a few moments. Would you share that at your tables? It can be scary and intimidating to some people, but i tell you what, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You know, you can get forgiveness just by going straight to Jesus, right? He's the mediator, but you can receive healing in ways that only come when you confess to another believer so i encourage you guys to take a few minutes to do that we're going to give you some time to pray together and then in a few moments nadia is going to come up and lead us into a time of offering and announcements so go ahead
1: Right, guys, um, if you guys are still praying, um, I encourage you guys to continue to pray after, talk to your table host afterwards if you need to, but um, we're going to move into a time of giving right now and offering, so um, I just want to share really quick, you know, Paul tells the Church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8 that they should be willing to give because that's what's acceptable to God, and so I just want to encourage you guys that as you give today, we have buckets in the back as you guys are leaving, and just be willing to give, have a willing heart of giving. I'm gonna go ahead and pray over offering and we'll go into our announcements. Thank you Lord for the opportunity to give. Thank you that you have put us in in a position where we are so willing to give to you God out of obedience, Lord first, but also in our hearts that we are just so willing to give it all to you, Jesus. I thank you for what you're doing here at the Fountain through through offering God. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So we have some really great events happening here at the Fountain. The first one I wanted to talk to you guys about is Pursuit. Pursuit is happening on... Pursuit is going to be a worship night happening on August 27th. And it's going to be from 6 to 7. It's going to be a really amazing night. I encourage you guys to sign up to sing in the choir or go ahead and submit some good news into our into our um, app there's a place in the app where you can submit your good news and it could be shared at the pursuit night the next thing I have for you guys is we have Fountain Connect today after sur- or after the gathering we have Fountain Connect so If you've never attended Fountain Connect, if this is your first time with us today, if if you've just never been, come hang out with us. Come check it out. Get to know the history of the church a little bit. Get to know Pastor Joe a little bit, and we would love to have you guys. Other than that, just make sure you guys are checking our app for different events, different um, times that we're going to be gathering together, and have a great week.